Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. My name is Matt Lees and tonight I'm joined by Quentin Smith. Hello. And Joe Scrabbles. Hello. This is the second recording of episode two. We recorded for about an hour and 20 minutes and then for reasons that entirely mystify me, the computer deleted it. Of course, we have since realised that that was probably due to the fact that there was a story told by Quentin Smith at the end of the podcast about a ghost. We made fun of the ghost and obviously the ghost... Uh, in spite deleted the podcast so we have since uh, rec- we've gone we recovered we've eaten some <laughs> some chocolate ganache and now we're we're powering on with a brand new podcast which will not feature any uh, dissing of the dead I'm going to point out this was a real ghost it was a real this ghost wasn't even a video game ghost he tried to warn us that it was a real ghost and we laughed and that ghost deleted the podcast so it's a just... real ghost all the way from Edinburgh as well it really slept <laughs> to yeah. ruin this so we decided to apologise to Mary the ghost from Edinburgh and now we can try and brave on with a brand new podcast Quentin what have you been playing oh by the way one final note we're not going to talk about any of the same things that we just talked about because that would be insane and heartbreaking <laughs> Quentin what have you been playing that you haven't talked about for an hour I've been playing a very small esoteric game <laughs> uh, called uh, A Dark Room or The Dark Room which was a web app um, uh, don't know who made it did all my research and now it's all been jettisoned into space uh, Dark Room has now have a iPhone port and what this is is you guys might be aware of games like um, Cookie Clicker or Candy oh, Cookie Candy Clicker. Box we'll come back to that in a minute carry on uh, these are games which you leave open in your browser or your phone now and it spins up a resource a resource that you use and you use it to get more and so on but this is a game that tries to do it very seriously uh, what it is is it starts off and it just says you are in a dark room and the UI is entirely black your phone is black or your web app uh, is black and there's one button that says like uh, like kindle a flame or light the torch and you do so and then a, you now have a permanent button on your UX that says kindle the flame and it says there's someone else in here with you and gradually through these very simple entirely accessible mechanics you expand to the area outside this room to the wilderness outside this room and the spinning up of numbers I was talking about comes from the fact that it's kind of post-apocalyptic and you and this person you don't know much about who I perceived as a love interest but actually talking to people the, the limited dialogue is kind of sparse uh, you could see her any number of ways, and then it does wonderful stuff to do with your, your hunting, you're trying to explore your environment, and ultimately uh, live and survive. That sounds way more expansive than I was assuming yeah. you were going to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, it's oh, like, so it's like one of those escape the room things, and then you're like, yeah, you're hunting and living and loving, and like, what this the is, hell? This is the joyous thing. It's like running um, on a beach, holding hands, yeah. making plans. On the podcast that shall not be spoken of, you talked about uh, affordable space. Adventures. Space Adventures. A game where um, on the Wii U pad you slowly unlock the UI mm. and learn how to use it. Dark Room is a similar thing and it turns out that uh, you know we're getting really good now at tutorials being built into a game and you don't even notice you're playing a tutorial but then now we have developers asking what if the tutorial was the game mm. you know and learning how like what buttons do what that's sort of like learning mastery of your environment that's what's on offer here did either of you play the Starship Damray on 3DS last year oh no but I heard a lot about it I was it's, going to play it it's rubbish like, yeah that's really <laughs> <laughs> what um, I was going to say I heard it was a bit rubbish yeah but the, the really cool thing about it is it's made by two of the guys who used to do the old Chunsoft sound novels they call them in Japan so it was is that an audiobook? well no because actually a sound novel weirdly I think is the precursor to a visual novel where it's a text based game but with like sound cues huh. that might be so bullshit than- by the way <laughs> but I think that's what it is but what what they did with this was 
it started up and it went, Starship Damro will have no tutorials. You will not know what's happening. It says that. Yeah. You will not know what's yeah, yeah. going well, it says, on. It says, like, it you, out, you yeah. have to work it out. And you wake up in, uh, well, you don't wake up. You just, the, the screen turns on and you're on the bottom screen. You can see some legs and like a pod. And then it's just like the first hour of the game is pushing buttons in what turns out to be a sort of alien style stasis pod. Hmm. I'm burping ganache. And um, <laughs> and then sort of dis- discovering this very tiny environment on the touch screen can interact with a robot on the top screen. Wow. And you drive the robot around. Uh, and then it turns into the shittest point and click adventure <laughs> game I've played in Do you know how excited years. you just got me? Exactly. I know. The the first, thing is- that's the thing. The first out, we, uh, we did this in O&M. We said, like, one of the best moments of the year was the first hour of the Starship Damray, and then everything else was terrible. <laughs> there was that's the thing. Like- I, I read about it a lot because I got fascinated in, the, like, the little 3DS indie games late last year when I suddenly realised that the 3DS was one of my favourite consoles yeah. and I wanted to explore <laughs> it. But I got so excited because the way it's like the game starts off being like, nothing will be explained to you. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, it's not really complicated, though. There's a, <laughs> like, there's you work like, it all out in about five minutes. There's like a tiny DEFCON hacking game for a bit where you're trying to hack into the stasis pod and restart it, and you're like, this is fuck! Like, what could... Where could we go with this? And then it's like, yeah, it's like a robot. Just, like, pick up a coffee cup and take it elsewhere. You're like... How do you fuck up? Such a, <laughs> like how how do you have a tutorial that's more enjoyable than everything else? Like that's what spurred me on to to talk about it. As you were saying, like we're getting really good at tutorials now, yeah. and making that the game is way more interesting than games we play. I had the most amazing experience in um, a project in London that uh, we covered on Shut Up and Sit Down and then uh, my, our friend Brendan also covered it on Rock Paper Shotgun. Uh, it's called the LHS Bike Shed. Oh, right. Uh, did, okay, right. I have no idea if you haven't seen is. this, then I get to blow your mind. Oh, yeah, oh please yeah. do. So, I love the fact they took they took my housemate along to this um, who, um, he's just like a wonderfully scattish person <laughs> who gets quite, he takes things very seriously and gets very stressed in an amusing way and I don't know, that, that'll make more sense when you explain what it is. <laughs> so this is a bunch of people in um, a hack space in London who have taken a caravan that was they went up to somewhere like slightly north of London this thing was falling apart when they got it like held together literally with duct tape <laughs> and uh, they pitched it to the back of their car and they drove down to London and do you know what they did with it Joe? No. They went inside with like hacksaws and electronics and all kinds of magic and turned it into a kind of like you know the Raptors from um, from Battlestar Galactica, or the shuttle from Star Trek. Okay, yeah. like so, you walk inside and they turn it into a fucking spaceship. They yeah, turn, they turn a caravan into a spaceship with like two seats that are side by side. So one person is on piloting, one person is on engineering, and it's all like hard points. Like it's not like oh, you have a touch screen and you can control it. No. As the engineer, when I the first time I did it, you have forty buttons, and it's like you know the interface in Space Team where you have a valve and a button. It's comedically yeah. complicated. It's that they took the idea from Space Team, so the engineer is like constantly checking the flux ratio and flipping switches, and it's boss because people turn back and look at you. This is the great thing about it, and it's the same as in a board game called Space Cadets, which is similarly everyone gets a roll and messes it up. People could turn around and look at me, and I look exactly like any actor pretending to be an engineer in a movie because I'm reaching over my head to restart the reactor that switch and oh, I'm re- that. I've got things by my like knees um, but the reason I brought this up and you know you have a pilot and a gunnery officer who are all playing their own games as far as the tutorial goes these guys do a lot of really fun things with the area around you in physical space mm-hmm. and there's a bit where you do a hyperspace jump which is the most amazing thing in the world and you're high five but then you come out near a sun and the pilot has to rotate the ship to make sure the shields are keeping steady 
sleep. And the engineer has a thing on his screen that says, oh my God, this cable needs to be reconnected before you jump out. It's above the tactics officer's head. So as the engineer, you go, uh, tactics, stand up, open the panel above your head. You have no idea that you have anything beyond the control input, like a computer input. So the tactics officer goes, what? And reaches up and opens a panel and finds a whole nest of wires that are all undone Holy and needs shit. to redo them all. But the engineer on his screen is saying, okay, connect red first. Okay, then yellow, then blue. And you're talking your friend through it. But I think, yeah, learning how to work with interfaces halfway through a game against the time limit, like the Die Hard, you know, opening up a bomb and seeing the wires and you have a time limit, that'd be a great thing for a video game to do. Yeah, just be completely what you're doing. And someone's talking you through it. I guess what you come down to, though, is, uh, I think, with stuff like that, is the, the sense of risk. Like, so few games have managed to get around, like, how, how it's going to work if you fail. Like, what, how, how can you make fail conditions fun in the long term? Because, I mean, I think that's one, actually one of the things that um, people kind of slagged off, like, Bioshock for being System Shock again. But the, one thing, the smartest thing that System Shock 2, I don't know, it was probably in System Shock as well, the, the chambers, the fucking life oh, chambers. The respawning chambers. Yeah. Yeah. one of the smartest things that any game's ever done it's like why don't more narrative what games was the rip penalty? it off I forget what was the penalty in System Shock for respawning well in, uh, in System Shock 2 anyway it cost you credits basically. oh that was it right. so it was like hey thanks for being cloned from death <laughs> we're gonna cost you 15 bucks and obviously that after a while could really hamper your it's ultimately like losing experience points because you can spend it to get weapons yeah you can spend ammo. money to get all sorts but of that's stuff. kind of better than how Bioshock dealt with it which was no consequence nothing no happened at all it was just yeah that always pissed me off that I could like count on being somewhere where the big daddy that had killed me wasn't and yet he was still hurt and all the, you know there was that strange thing where you felt like it became, you were cheating it became yeah. a bit of a pantomime when you were having a fight with a big daddy quite close to the Victor Chamber <laughs> yeah. now, because he'd still have the same health so you'd just be like repeatedly hurling like meat puppets at him like that. <laughs> exactly I remember like, having to kill a big daddy without any ammo by just literally running up hitting him with a wrench twice and then getting killed that is the saddest thing doing it again and again but obviously in, in System Shock you do get this grinding sense of fear because you're like I don't have any money. Hmm. How am I going to finish the game without money? What fiction am I thinking of where it has cloning, but clones are always imperfect and slightly brain damaged, and they become worse and worse and lose their fidelity over? No idea. It could be literally, oh. it could be any book or game. Or I don't know. But yeah, I think a lot of especially comedy, sci-fi comedy series have jokes to do with teleporters, and because no one wants to be disassembled and reassembled, and you can do loads of. Neat it can't stuff be good, but yeah, I just love the way they did that because it meant that you don't ever have any repeated experience like you never the great thing and I think System Shock 2 still nails this so so well I played last year a bit and I've still never actually finished it I've only ever played the beginning bits again the again, ending again. is quite the thing it has some really good environmental storytelling that's the thing is I, I really want to go back and do it because I started a let's play of it uh, when I was a video gamer and I always felt bad because I always intended to try and finish it and never did but I had some amazing time with elevators and monkeys it was just a real experience <laughs> I have my favourite memories are to do with um there were, you know how the chemical labs were if, if you haven't played System Shock you can get more in Bioshock you take photos of enemies to research yeah. damage upgrades in System Shock you had to do scientific, science experiments oh yeah you had to like you basically find bits of the enemies like yeah like organs or like really rare components then you'd have to take them to one of the chemistry rooms on the ship and find like a box of nitrogen I have a, I, the, yeah. the memory I have it that was really funny was one of these chemistry rooms was really vertical because it's a spaceship and they have limited space right so it was a ladder running up a tall a room that was like three times taller than it was wide and sitting on a shelf 
shelf at the very top of this <laughs> yeah. room in the corner because I know the monsters that I'm researching with like silicon that's by my left knee and argon that's to my right are below me and I'm quietly just mixing stuff in beakers <laughs> figuring out what they are mixing pieces of them <laughs> yes as they look up at me I yeah. thought about how wonderfully ludicrous it is in that and the fact that you, you always get specific pieces from each type of enemy the idea you're going to go how am I going to go about this one Livers. <laughs> I'm just going to take the livers. Just get that one out. <laughs> but then, yeah, you get a, lo- a lovely bit of um, flavour you can read about. That's what's great about System Shock is you find a monkey and you go, I'm being attacked by a monkey. Uh, okay. And then through the audio logs and, but also the pieces of the monkeys that you research, you figure out what they were. Then you figure out who on the ship was responsible for them and why they're so powerful yeah. now. And that's it. Like, it does actually piece it together. Like, one of my favourite books is uh, Oryx and Crake by Margaret yeah. Atwood. Of, like, that thing of being like, how did this happen? And and then going back and kind of finding out why all of the animals are now incredibly dangerous. Which Dark Souls does too, of course. Um, it does. And actually, when I was playing Dark Souls 2 earlier, I, I, I remembered one of the things that I'd forgotten about the way the game works is the fact that I killed a dog and it dropped, like, not a humanity, a human effigy, hmm. which is, like, the equivalent of humanity in Dark Souls 2. And it was like, I remember thinking, well, that's weird. Why is it always dogs and stuff? But I remember somebody explaining about in the original Dark Souls that rats always drop humanity. Like, and that's the best way to get humanity yeah. from rats. And I was like, that doesn't, why? They're rats. And it's like, is no, it because they've eaten? They're giant rats who've eaten lots of people. <laughs> they've eaten lots of bodies. And so they've sort of got concentrated human in them, which, which makes humanity. Tiny crystalline. If you eat enough humans, <laughs> get a nice bit of humanity in your belly. That's so gross. It's really gross. It'd but, be cool if you could listen in on them. They were having like a very human soap opera, just <laughs> chatting away like, <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> why can't you be like the other rats, Nigel? <laughs> Because I'm, uh, I'm a rat with ambitions. <laughs> We've really derailed this. Or yeah, I, I apologise. I, I like it, I like it. But I, I think I was... Uh, I, it goes back to the whole like um, thing with, with kind of getting around death and getting around the problem of death. Is There's a, oh, sorry. Please go. And just creating that, that like sense of risk is you can only do it once. And that's one of my biggest fears about the new Alien game that's coming out, like Alien Isolation, is the fact that it sounds awesome, this idea of being hunted by one alien on a traditional 1980s-style alien spaceship. But it's like, how many is times do you have to die? just going to be endless set pieces? Well, I just think, how many times do you have to die before you stop being scared? That's yeah. the thing. And I remember with System Shock 2, a similar, like, that thing of hiding. But I remember the fear um, after I died a couple of times being chased by these the horrible kind of psychic monkeys no the guys the standard guys who have shotguns for arms oh them the whatevers yeah, yeah they're like really <laughs> the losers Matt I know but I wasn't very good and I remember being killed by one and then going out into the corridor and there being another one and then being like oh running back into the room <laughs> trying to kill him and getting killed again and then I remembered being like bump coming back in the regeneration chamber and being like immediately hugging the wall oh yeah no, and like in the that. chamber being like he's still out there because the guy who killed me a minute ago is just there and being like really scared in the fact that it's like I've been killed I've been punished for it but it hasn't made me any less frightened of the enemies yeah it's what it's it's to do with um, uh, the consequences for death are real and it's quick you know like in Silent Hill 2 you die and it's scary and kind of 
spooky, but what you really want from the player is you want to sort of slap them, you want them to not go through that experience again. Mm. And one way of doing that is just really nasty death animations, like, oh, what game was I playing where there's a monster that rips you in? It's a Gears of War or something? No, Last of Us, of course. Oh, God, I was yeah. really scared of monsters in Last of Us. They fuck you up, man. Purely because of the disgusting animations of people reaching inside Joel's mouth with both hands and pulling uh, apart. And you know what was wonderful about that? And the thing that's why I actually... Uh, I know that was divisive, by the way. I saw Steve Gaynor, who was the developer of um, Gone Home, being like, I don't want to see this. This is disgusting. Well, I know, but you don't I... see a lot of it. That's what I thought was amazing about it. And that's why I made my little cooking with The Last of Us video. And I realized I could do it is because it's mostly audio. It's about <laughs> what it does is it shows you the beginning of Joel being fucked up in a really horrible way but the actual point where his jaw gets ripped in half or whatever it is you never see it cuts it to black it cuts to black and you hear the noise and it, that's the thing is we remember seeing it but you don't really there are some bits that are really graphic but often it gives you that flash of like something horrible about to happen yep. and then a scream and a crunch and you just go oh my god and it is that classic thing of like it's what you don't see is more the whole psycho scene yeah thing. it's fucking well it's Hitchcock maybe this throws it a bit out but I thought a game that did it actually surprisingly well recently was the Tomb Raider remake or the whatever it was oh there's some nasty like, stuff in there's there. some yeah. really unpleasant death animations and I know some people will go into it and be like I want to see every single one because I like Tostal <laughs> like when you like when I was playing it I did not want to see Lara Croft get a twig through her throat no. again I was like I'm, in all these sections I just want to do it perfectly every time because it's seriously unpleasant I thought that was actually quite effective like yeah. that's a game that didn't punish you for death apart from showing you something horrifying well I was actually talking uh, for the kind of like uh, little Patreon Q&A update videos in today I was talking about someone was asking about QTEs and I was talking about Resident Evil and mm. it's like the, the fact that it's like Resident Evil 4 like I remember just being actually shocked. I mean, this was almost like prior to the big like fetish with films like Saw. Mm. It was when it first came out. And I just remember playing the bit where at the start, you know, the classic bit where you go inside the house, seal it up, go upstairs. You kind of think like, oh, it's fine, I've got this covered. Then you see the ladders hit the windows and you go, what? They're <laughs> zombies. Why are they using ladders? That's not that's cheating. Zombies aren't allowed ladders. <laughs> and then suddenly they're smashing through from every side. You've got a shotgun. You feel invincible. You're not invincible. Mm -hmm. It tricks you with the shotgun. It makes you feel like you've got this you haven't got this and then the guy with the chainsaw comes in and you just the first time I see it when you just see it, him just cut your head off with a chainsaw and you mm. just watch Leon just limply kind of fall to his knees and fall to the floor while his head rolls or worse like his hands still go for a split second and he's still trying to grab at someone as his head comes off yeah and it's just like I just remember sitting there going what the fuck <laughs> like it genuinely was like <laughs> it was really really like intensely unsettling yeah, absolutely uh, again, uh, <clears throat> taking it slightly away from horror but on the subject of how to deal with failure and also QTEs so kind of relevant my favourite game for dealing with failure ever is Shenmue or more specifically oh, yeah. Shenmue 2 because and I'll scream about this to anybody who'll listen the thing that was beautiful about Shenmue's fights is um loads of them maybe like 30 or 40% of them if you lost pretty more than that if you lost the game kept going yeah and it was just like so Yo gets mugged and then like he finally he chases the muggers and you win that series of QTEs which again if you fail the game just keeps going it's like well I lost my backpack and you're a loser because it's like a game about it's a game about it's kung fu tropes it's about failure it's about growth so when you chase that mug and you pass all the QTEs and he gets to his brother and his brother's a big dude and he squares up to you you're like okay I might just get beaten up now yeah. and, you, and you don't know and you don't know if you fail whether the game will keep going and the great thing about that 
is it makes 100% of the fights in the game tense. Yeah. Because mm. if you lose, you don't know if the game will keep going. And if it doesn't, whatever. But you don't know for the duration of the fight. Yeah. And it, it's, sort of, it's sort of why the moments in The Walking Dead and The Wolf Among Us where you do actually die are so jarring. Because that game sets itself up as like this beautifully branching narrative experience where every, every failure has its consequence that could actually be kind of cool in a narrative way. Like you never feel like... Or you very rarely feel like something you do wrong is wrong. In the game, doesn't tell you it's wrong. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you know, this happened. Your guy got punched in the face by um the the hunter, and you're like, well, fine, whatever. But when you do die, you're just like, oh, well, fuck this. Like you're meant to deal with this for me, which you know is asking a lot when it's like six zombies have clawed Lee's eyes out. But then you know there, there is that sense where it's kind of set up such a lovely sort of lovely flow to it and then it just abandons it occasionally and it's not it's not like a criticism so much as a kind of oh come on like that's that because it works so well when it I'd love to see because I was thinking earlier about the fact that I, I was I'm always torn with The Witcher 2 in the fact that you can choose to switch the QTEs off and I was talking about this again in the video but like you, you can switch them off if you want right which means then it's just they're just cutscenes, right? Yeah. But there's one of the really early ones. Is like there's a bit we have to do a QTE to like a dragon tries to eat you and you end up sticking a sword in its mouth. I want to press that button. That's the thing. It's good to press that button, but if you mess it up, I don't like them sometimes because I'm like I feel like I'm watching a cutscene and suddenly I'm like oh I'm not on the controller. Like I was just having a cup of tea or something. Because <laughs> um, you know these games like long they're long hauls like the Witch Two. You play it for a whole day. You can't be holding the yes, controller. All on the day. other hand, QTE's not perfect, but oh my god, like a good QTE. Like mm. weirdly. Lots of games haven't done it better than Shenmue, whereby a QTE doesn't necessarily mean you have to get them all. Maybe it slows you down some, like just. And if the animations are really cool and it's that's the quick, thing, is the thing is, is like I, I switched them off because I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered having to redo stuff because I fail it. But there's like there's something awesome about watching The Witcher being eaten by a dragon. <laughs> so it's like I just sort of think, oh, and it makes me think of Planescape Torment, where I love the the idea of like one of the fun things that nobody seems to realise about having an invincible character in a video game and a character who can't die is that you can make them die a lot in a weird way like I used to love the thing in, in Planescape of it just being like you you just die and it would just be like whenever you died it would be equivalent of going to an inn and resting it would just be like your main character if any of your party died they were dead and that was really intense because it was so serious it was like one of your companions in Planescape got killed they were out of the game that's it they're dead. We should we should not we should explain Planescape in case our fans are either not PC gamers or not as old. That's true. All right, Planescape Wizard Torment is, is I mean it's probably my favourite game of all time. But basically, Planescape Torment was a game where you wake up in a morgue and it's like an old school RPG like Baldur's Gate, a kind of point and click strategy RPG, very conversation heavy. I think it still has the most dialogue in any game ever. It's like five hundred thousand words of dialogue uh, and pretty well written stuff as well. Um, but basically, it's this idea of you wake up in a morgue you, and then you don't know anything about yourself, which sounds like a massive trope. It's like, you know, amnesia. But then you, you start to realise that the awesome thing about it is as you travel through the world, you are experiencing it afresh for the first time. Same as the player, right? Same as the player. That's the thing, that you have that alignment that always works so well for narrative, and that's why amnesia characters are an easy fit. But it makes sense in this, because every time you meet people, you're meeting that character the first time, and your character is meeting that person for the first time. But you gradually realise that because you're immortal, you've been around for fucking ages. And even more than that, you've forgotten things before. Like You've, you've lost your memory multiple times, which means there have been multiple versions of you 
going around the city doing things for hundreds of years. And some of them are evil. Some of them are fucking terrifying. <laughs> and some of them are, are good. And it's like you start to piece together your own history of being like, you realise they're actually, within recent history, about four or five of them that you can kind of piece out. And you start to realise, okay, this one was really evil. <laughs> this one was like insane and I went insane this one was good and you start to realise like loads of stuff like one of the ones who seems really good you then realise he wasn't (laughs) and then you realise actually what's nice about it is that's how I often play it because it gave you so many wonderful dialogue options that you could pretend to be a really nice person when actually you were just being incredibly manipulative of everyone around you or like the the quote that everyone throws around about Planescape is to do with the fact that when you wake up uh, the first character you meet is a floating skull Planescape by the way is a and d uh, setting where Essentially, all the god It's the end of the world where all the gods live. It's incredibly weird. People can believe in anything, and it pretty much happens. It's the strangest and like, yeah, anything can happen basically. Yeah. And all the characters you meet, it's just like it's so inventive and creative that you end up scouring the entire world just to meet characters and talk to people because it's full of interesting ideas and stories. It's it's dialogue you actually want to read, which is what's miraculous. Yeah, yeah. So the first character you encounter is a floating skull called Mort, and Mort says to you, "Whoa, you look pretty messed up." Also, did you know you have a, what's with the huge tattoo on your back? Yeah, and it's a tattoo from your past self giving you loads of dialogue and Mort says oh, I'll read it for you and it's, it's some really basic stuff as to go here do this it's instructions it's, it's basically <laughs> a manual what you find out later so this is a tattoo you had put on yourself so when you died and came back you'd know but also what Mort leaves out you find out like halfway through the game yeah. is there's a last sentence on your back that says don't trust the skull that Mort didn't tell you about <laughs> yeah and but, but that, which is only my second favourite interaction the, the next character you pick up who's Dracon is a swordsman traditional eastern samurai type who walks up and he says oh you and we were friends we worked together are you okay and all this stuff and if your wisdom's high enough you can talk to him and talk to him about the, the past his philosophies and, and his philosophies and you get to a point where he talks about his philosophies and he talks about a great adventure the two of you went on hundreds of years ago or whatever and you rescued him from a sea and, you're, and the dialogue pops up and your character sort of sits and goes Dracon that doesn't make sense if I saved you with this philosophy, wouldn't you do this and this and then wouldn't I have had to do this? And he goes, uh, and it turns out the only reason he's your friend is because he's indentured to you because yeah. because you he saved his life. Over, yeah. Because he screwed you over and he wanted to avoid that with this un- incarnation, which is a beautiful like, oh, you're not even my friend. You are legally honor bound to say, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> you. That's it. It's the fact that you, you start with this wonderful naivety of being like, oh, these people are helping me. And it's like, actually, no, like a lot of the time when you meet people, they know who you are and they have agendas. Like <laughs> either they think they can get something from you you or they they know that you owe them something or and it's just you gradually unfold it and you realize it but you realize your impact on this world is incredible it's one of those things where you, you realize your character is like incredibly central within the world and uh, I, I still think my favorite bit of that game is that when you're paid um somebody pays you to break into a tomb that's full of like incredible traps that are so dangerous and it's like they, they think there must be treasure in there because it's like it's so dangerous like it's just full of insane traps that kill anyone dead and of course it's great because the whole thing about your character is whenever you die you just wake up about 12 hours later feeling a bit rough <laughs> and so you go into this tomb and it's full of these horrible traps and you just get repeatedly killed but it just takes a while it just takes you a few days <laughs> just triggering these traps and go oh, I'm dead again okay okay and then you get to the middle of it and you realise that actually it wasn't a, a tomb it was a safe house and it was one of your previous... Uh, because he knew only you could get through well, it. Well, no, he went insane and became convinced that people were trying to trying to destroy him. And so he locked himself in this fortress full of traps and wrote all these mad scrawlings on the walls. And it's like you realise there's nothing in there apart from 
the most valuable thing in that game information and it's just like it is as you say it's a game where you end up reading a tremendous amount because information is the most valuable and exciting thing in the game also one of the two or three games that really lies to you and it, and expects you to figure out that you're being lied to. Oh yeah, God, you like get that and Deus Ex and like the Deus Ex games in general. But you yeah, really right. can't trust a lot of people. And actually, a lot of the core narrative, a lot of uh, one of the key motivations in the game, like that keeps you going through. And if you're like you know just playing at a basic level of like, oh, I'm just following the main story of what you have to do, you realise there's some really heartbreaking lies within that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it ends you. It makes you question a lot of things. But yeah, it's it's still a fantastic game. And actually, the HD mods you can get for it now and stuff make oh, it yeah, look yeah. really pretty. And some much of its writing you know you struggle through the absolutely abysmal combat I'd expect people to put mods to like make the combat easy or remove yeah I mean uh, you know we, we, we talked about this in the, in the ghost podcast which may not be named <laughs> uh, but difficulty in games is a funny one I think some games play on easy difficulty why the hell not do you know I went through a period <laughs> no you can't say this, about, this is a story from the I ghost podcast 23 fine when I used to play games on hard by default, it was a bad idea. Don't it's fine. It. We can talk about that. We just can't talk about the ghost. You can't talk about that ghost story ever again, Quentin. It's already destroyed one podcast. Uh, I will not do it. Uh, sorry, Mary. The one last, the final thing I'm going to say about Planescape is that it is the only game where you can beat the last boss by willing your heart to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you, if you are wise enough, if your wisdom stat is 25, which in D&D terms is like, is godlike, you can go, no, turn it off my heart now. And the god goes, no, and then that's the end of the game. Yeah, there, there are lots of ways you can end that game in there. Most of them are quite bleak. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hugely recommend it. It's, it's an incredible experience. And I, I think about it a lot. It's, it's affected me. Um, it's it's a it's a saga, and there really aren't many of those in games. Yeah, it was it was very much of that era of going into a, like for me W H Smiths and just picking up something off the shelf and looking at the back of the box. And I remember I had a very striking box art. It was this blue haired guy. It was this blue guy with blue dreads. Didn't really look anything like the character in the game, but uh, it was just this really weird. It was a photograph as well. No, it wasn't. It was. Was it? Yeah, it was a photograph of a dude, a blue dude with blue dreads <laughs> with an orange background. And it was like, I think it was a photo of a man because it wasn't the same man in the game. Like, the game's lied to you again. <laughs> <laughs> I've been gamed by the game! Um, Wait, are we still in the game? Uh, what did, what but, did you guys like about the movie Existence? I've never oh, seen I've it. never seen it. It doesn't exist in this reality because we're in a video game. Fuck! <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> what video game... What other video games have we been playing that aren't 14 years old? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I've actually just finished uh, Bravely Default, actually. Oh, congratulations. I Thank you very much. still not finished that. It's been a long journey. Um, I've, I just really... Thanks for everyone for their support throughout this, uh, this difficult time. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like... I like it a lot. I, I like it. But it's still like a fucking JRPG. And... And I find myself so conflicted because I keep reading all these op-eds, uh, particularly Kotaku are really in love with that game and they're giving it a lot of long tail stuff. And I think that's great because, you know, games media talking about games after they're out. Very rare. Very rare. <laughs> something that we need to do. Yes. But they're all just like, oh, I love how like, it's just got this shameless love for grinding. And it's like, well, yes. yeah. People said that about Dragon Quest VIII when it came out on the PS2. It's, it's a beautiful game with a lot of grinding. I know. I love that game for the first 30 hours and then I realised it wanted me to Brave grind. Dragon Default or Dragon Age? Dra Dragon Age 8. Yeah. It was a fantastic story. I loved it. 
great fun, great characters. And then it got to a point where it's like, yeah, just just do this bit for five hours. It's I had a similar thing with Nino Cooney where I wanted yeah. to love it and I loved it, and then I realised it was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing is Nino Cooney had fantastic characters, amazing art design, great soundtrack, shit game. I cannot. Can you imagine like being like the art director or the composer and spending You'd be like or the sound designer, the character artist, like three years of your life on that game, and the level designers are like. Can you can you make us a dungeon that's four times as large as that? Why? No. Yeah. I mean, the, no. the basic thing in that game for me was me being like, I must be missing something because every time I had a boss fight in Nino Kuni, it was like the only way to do it was get the strongest character under your control, except that all the other characters were going to die, and then to run away from the boss, <laughs> flinging spells at the boss whilst quickly microing uh, to, to give yourself more mana potions so you could keep doing it. And it was like everything else would die and you just have to do that. And that was the way you fought all of the bosses. If there's one thing Studio Ghibli stands for, it's that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, then, then there was a bit about halfway through the game where it went, hey, here's a cool new function you might like. You can press left on the D-pad and it will tell everyone on your team to defend briefly. Press right on the D-pad and it will tell everyone on your team to all-out attack. And then it's like from that point onwards, the bosses made sense because you'd see this big animation of a big attack coming and you just go... Defend. defend. Yeah. And it became a mechanic. Whereas in the first half of the game, you'd see this massive charge up and you'd have to desperately go, defend, next character, defend, next character, because you couldn't pause and issue orders at the same time. You couldn't pause the game and then issue orders and unpause. <laughs> nice. Like you do in, you know, RPGs. All those uh, games. <laughs> old games. So I'd just be like, oh, I'm missing something. Why was I doing? And I wasn't. It's just the fact they, they decided to, because they were trying to make it really, really kiddie friendly. They just hid so many features that you needed. They mu- it must have been a development change where they went, maybe let's introduce that later. And nobody went, ah. Uh. Because all the kids would have fucked off by that time. <laughs> well, like, I played yeah. it for 40 hours and it was just like, fuck this game, man. Like, I, I, want, I think this is what annoys me about JRPGs is I, I, I may be a mentally deficient adult for saying this and admitting this, but I like the stories and I know they're crap. Well, no, we, you, the reason you beat dungeons at the end of JRPGs is because there'll be like a little cutscene and you can watch it and they're little faces will go through different frames of animation yeah. maybe now, someone will die precisely but now what happens with every JRPG and what happened with Brovey Default is I had a 10 hour period of no story whilst I went around the world collecting good items levelling up my characters then just breeze through the final dungeon knocked out the end boss within a couple of minutes without any trouble and then got a very short kind of cutscene going oh we've done it and then felt an immense sense of emptiness <laughs> <laughs> the thing the thing with Bravely Default is it, it sets itself up really nicely so you don't need to brilliant. grind for quite a while like it feels really perfectly done and then you get the, the option to turn on more random encounters or turn them down and like you, there, there seems to be something where they're going yeah, we, we get it, guys. We've, we've nailed this. Like, get on. And then you get to a certain point, and it's like, nah, no, just like sit around for, for 16 that's hours. That's what frustrates like, me so really much. It's really annoying. Is it, gives you, it gives you the keys to the car, right? And that's what I respect and love about the start of Bravely Default, is it goes, hey, this is Bravely Default. You can double the speed of the battles, or you can quadruple the speed of the battles. <laughs> also, you can automate them entirely if you want, <laughs> and just make it so your characters keep doing the same things you told them to last time. At that point, you've got to be looking at your game and going, have we fucked something up, guys? <laughs> yeah, no, but no, that, that aspect is great. No, no, it, but my point is that like, if you need to quadruple the speed of your... Like, imagine if like Last of Us is... I mean, it's a terrible... Well, that's the problem. Is, absurdum, it's basically, but... it's like, it's a fix for the genre. And in that well, way, I like exactly it, it, because what it does is it retains what's fun about the genre. It just means that if you don't want to sit through 
through every fucking frame of it. And I saw some guy talking on the forum going, I don't understand what you mean. I never sped it up or automated a single battle. That's I finished insane. the game. It's like, what's wrong with you? It's a massive game. But I, I still get the enjoyment out of the tactics and working out things and doing a bit of grinding here or there to get the nice setup I want and having this continually evolving, like, oh, that'd be better. I'll do well, the, that. And the job system's fucking fantastic. Lovely. I mean, some of, some of the stuff where you're just... The first time you work out a combo between, you know, your your set ability and then yeah. the job abilities, uh, it's just... You can be like, oh, this ability lets them dodge attacks and then this ability makes them attack after dodging and then they get this... <laughs> and you, like, start to work out your own combinations. It makes you feel smart and that's why JRPG is mm. fun and that's why the great ones like Final Fantasy Twelve and this allow you to automate it because it knows that it's not the process of doing it that matters. It's the process it's of the being setup. smart. Oh, it's the setup and the equipment and the... the correctly identifying the tactics yes so once you've nailed the tactics there's no fun of sitting and doing it over and over again mm. you've done the work wow. you've nailed the puzzle and it's this continually evolving puzzles and adding new pieces so you can craft new ideas and optimise and come up with new strategies but what's terrible about Bradley Default right is it lets you choose like even like how many encounters do you want like do you want do you want to have like shitloads so you can grind or do you want to have none so you can just get through the story and not have to do any random battles all this stuff is genius but the problem is by giving you this sense that you're controlling the pace of the game completely and being like hey you can grind whenever you want you can not grind whenever you want do it however you feel right if you feel like you need to level up a bit go for it if you don't ignore it it then has an entire end game and I'm not going to spoil the specifics but it has an end game that is just completely like grinding insane I mean it basically you know when you get to the end of a JRPG and it goes hey here's the airship now you can fly anywhere in the world and you've got to sort of do all these little quests and then you can do the next big quest and you, but you've got to go to six places to do six things and then you do the final bit right you do that in Brody Default you go to the six places and you go to the end bit and you think oh, this is the end of the game no then you have to go to the six places again and it literally <laughs> yeah. there's a narrative element of it which literally makes you repeat yourself multiple times and it means you get to the end game of it and it makes you do a JRPG end game like I think you'd, I did it two and a half times to get the, <laughs> to get the true ending to get the actual good ending because to be honest the ending was pretty crap I was pretty disappointed to get the good ending you have to do it six times I know I know a guy we were sitting down he was playing through that end game section and he did it over and over again he got he, he assumed it was coming to an end like he thought the story would kind of prompt you to to like to stop so he got to the sixth time and he was like I can't fucking believe this <laughs> I don't know what's going on like he thought he'd broken the game because yeah. it was like yeah but it, it's it's mad it's like, kind of a I smart idea what they do but at the same time oh narratively it works really nicely but, but it's, it is like, a, it's an absolute prick oh good lord it's just like and the thing that annoyed me so much is that it never because the rest of it was paced so much at your uh, being your choice of how you want to pace the game to then just go to the end oh we're going to take it out of your hands now and we're going to take the, the pacing back to like an incredibly slow traditional JRPG pace so they almost had it they almost oh, had yeah, it yeah. the problem was before I got to that point I'd done loads of grinding I was just happily grinding away and then it got to the point where I was like right I've had my fun grinding now it's time to finish the game and then suddenly it just went oh no no now you've got to do grinding I'm like what? <laughs> but I've done all my I've just done so much grinding it was this deep resentment but I, I think it's funny because it is almost like this degree of JRPG fans feel they need that they feel like cheated unless they get this long an end game that as long as they oh want. my god the ultimate that one of those for me the JRPG that filled me with the most hope and then dashed it against spiky rocks is Persona 4 
Yeah, oh God, I played the same thing with Persona 3. It was like, I was loving it. And actually, I remember playing it going, I love Persona. I'm kind of done with it though. And actually, I'm looking forward to being over. I've just, I've had a great time with it. And now I feel like I'm done. And somebody who played it a lot went, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm really near the end. I'm like about seven floors off the hundred floor. He's like, oh, it doesn't end at the hundred floor. I'm like, what? What? It doesn't end at floor 100. And he's like, no, 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 it goes up to like, and he told me the number, I can't remember what it was. And I was just like, fuck this. <laughs> it's like, I'm done. Like, I've had a good time. And that annoys me because it's like, the, the people like me who play it for the story, you get to the point where you're like, it's time for this to wrap up now. And it's like, nah, you can't have the last bit of story until you've done all this. It's like, I just want to finish it. People may remember Persona 3 as the game where school kids shot themselves shot. in the head with a ghost gun to summon demons. Persona... F oh, I was going to say, just not ghosts. Let's not talk not about ghosts, ghosts. Not ghosts, no ghosts. Persona, you didn't play Persona 4 then? No. Oh, Persona 4. Oh, do they not shoot themselves in the No, head? they don't. Persona 4 is um is is way, is the better game. I, really? Well, people say... But it still has the same... Persona 3 has better highs, people say, but Persona 4 is broadly the better game. It's the same thing of school kids, and in the day you have this thing where you're trying to make friends because social links with the yeah. sports team or the woman who runs the local Chinese restaurant, whatever, represent your ability to summon demons. But it does, it's... Just it's, like in real life. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's less anime and more just like it has a thing to say. What Persona 4 is, it's not there's a demon tower with 100 floors you need to go to the end, whatever. Persona 4 is you can go in the TV and it's a lot about the surveillance state and you can kind of look into your TV and if you stare into it at midnight and follow what's happening on TV enough, you can enter this strange world and change the future. And it talks about how all the school kids are talking about what was on TV last night and what's on TV is that they all see is one of their friends dead or whatever. And then you go into the TV to change the future. But the thing I like about it is it's in a very small suburban town. So it swaps big city sort of slightly flavorless for it's a shitty town. There's a shitty grocery store. There's a really there's a. The place you go to fish is like a concrete bridge, which which usually raining. And there's like really thin, shitty grass next to it, and it it nails the texture of a really boring town perfectly. But where comes the disappointment? Oh, God! Where? <laughs> um, I've forgotten like, already. The thing is, I get so frustrated because I love JRPGs, and yet I find myself so aghast at how they're made most of the time and yet I always get stick from people who are fans going oh you don't love JRPGs she's like no, I do I do but they they are fuckers to themselves so how cool is this every dungeon in Persona to save somebody they kind of fall on the TV they get kidnapped they're in the TV universe and you have to go into their reality to save them so there's a kid who uh, the game never says this because it's a Japanese game but he's gay and he has this he's wearing a leather jacket and he's super masculine but really he's kind of into cross stitching and doesn't want to be he doesn't want the pressure to be a man and save his family all the time because he's like he's got a single mum and all this other stuff so you go into his universe and it's a bathhouse full of really buff men and statues and you finally get to him and you're like dude you have to come home and he goes no I can't come home I have to I have to sweat here in the fucking sweat lodge with these buff men and you're like dude what's wrong with you and he goes I and you make him confront himself and you make him admit that he's not the the masculine ideal that he presents and then the boss appears and when he defeats the boss he's rescued from a world that, other, that would otherwise eat him it's like there's a girl who considers herself a princess and she lives in a castle and a bit like Psychonauts in a exactly like yeah. Psychonauts um, but less smart uh, but then the end you find the person who's been putting people in TVs and it becomes an evil dungeon a really difficult evil dungeon forever that's it it's just like don't do it don't do it I love Lost Odyssey for the first 15 hours and then it was like 
I lost Odyssey. Oh my god, there's a video game I forgot existed. It was amazing. Also, like Planescape. It was so good. Uh, yeah, yeah, Immortal yeah, Dude. An Immortal Man, except you'd come across poetry. Lost Odyssey, I think, was the last game to make me cry. I, honestly, it made me cry so much. I had to. <laughs> I literally, this is not a lie, and this is mainly because I'm an absolute pansy and I cry at everything. Oh, wait till people get married. Uh, I had to play it while sitting next to myself with a towel. Because I was I was crying really? so frequently. <laughs> it made me cry six times within the first three hours. Seriously? Like, yeah, the, I just, the poetry sections, yeah, right? Yeah, that, well, the stories. Like, the stories made me cry. So it really made Lost me cry. Odyssey was just a sort of JRPG where everyone was slightly tan, so I played it with Italian voice acting and subtitles, and that <laughs> seemed really fitting. Um, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. Uh, but, um, obviously, because then you couldn't tell how bad the English voice acting yeah, was. Yeah, that's always good. Uh, that was the fix. Um, but, yeah, every so often you'd come across shards of past memories and they got in an actual Japanese kind of short story writer to do them which no video game I know of has gone like we need to get like because you don't have to write much you only have to proper writers are going to look away from a video game project because I saw the script for Deus Ex and it was like one, the original Deus Ex and it was 1,200 pages or something but if you can get a, a story writer in to write small bits of yep. your story so they did this then animated the segments of short stories it was so effective because it was just a case of often like just even stuff like each page of the story it would like change to have a different background and they weren't like detailed yep. images they were just like vague things so if it was a dungeon it would have like a dark kind of vague image of a kind of felt like a dungeon room and you maybe a this, dripping sound a effect. dripping sound and maybe an ominous sort of and then the way the words would appear would be like it would vary the speed and the rhythm and some words with an impact would appear with a certain sort of sense of animation and impact and, and it was have sound effects it was it was it was genuinely beautiful and i found it really affecting maybe because my mind was already wired into that planescape thing of of thinking about the realities of immortality and about how actually like there are so many things about it that would be really sad and really bad that I found it really affecting in the fact that you realise a lot of the stories were about this immortal character yeah, about the idea of living forever and what that would mean and uh, I just uh, yeah it really touched me a lot I was just blown away by it I was just crying a lot God the story I remember that killed me is um, it was just he remembered him and another man working in a docks in this like seaside town that's the one. Oh, that's the one you remember I remember this that is one. brutal uh, so you'll have to correct me if I get this right I remember it very vaguely I just remember that <laughs> this <laughs> this sort of, yeah. so they're both lifting crates and it describes how hard the work is but it's fair and they have dinner and, and you know it's, there's, it's beautiful weather and they do this for, for years and then one day they see this beautiful woman and they both like her and your character Kane is it? Kane? Kine? Kine. Hmm. Kine? I think oh I don't know some nonsense what name. are those? <laughs> uh, with funny names <laughs> uh, what, what, what are they like? those those no, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> so, but then they both look at this woman and you think, oh, Kame's going to get a get her. But no, his friend is like, her friend asks her out and she doesn't like the butch Kame, she likes the friend. And they they start a relationship and it describes Kame watching them and over months of this hard work, the hard work isn't fun anymore and they get they invite him to their wedding. And Kame doesn't go to their wedding and then what? She starts sending letters to him. Yeah. To came. I, I, see, I'm worried about getting it wrong. I'm worried about doing. I'm worried about, doing, I'm but it's it ultimately this this very sort of quite quick story of a man watching his best friend fuck up a relationship, and ultimately she kills herself. And because he doesn't reply to one of her letters. Oh, that's it. That's it. I remember it now. She's writing came letters saying. Um, and she came as kind of her release valve for the relationship. She's like, yeah. I'm not 100% happy in this relationship. And he goes, look, you, you have to be. You kind of, you have to be because you made this, this, this life vow. And so one day she writes him a letter and he just doesn't respond. 
and and she kills herself. And then at the, the end of the story is his friend comes to the docks to work one day, and he's like, "Well, she killed herself. I guess that's that." And came punches him and said, "And this is all you. This is all you. You killed her." And then he leaves. And he's angry at himself because he didn't reply to the letter. He's furious at his friend because his friend couldn't keep her happy. And then you go back to a JRPG and it's like, okay, kill four goblins. And you're <laughs> what? Yeah, that's the thing. Is it's like it's incredibly impactful stories that like written by like a, an actual honest to god poet. And yeah. then then that's the thing. Is like the first six this. hours of the game, there was like I maybe found about ten of them, and some of them were like just interesting, but a lot of them were just like incredible. And then as the game went on, it became like you just didn't really get there anymore. And it was, oh really? Well, I, there was just less of them, and they were really thick and fast early on. And I was like, this game it might be the best JRPG I've ever played. But then it was like, as with all of them, it just ended up being a JRPG. I still think actually, I'll say finally that the one game I think that got it right. Um, and there's so many things from this game that other games should have just do as standard now, but don't, uh, was Chrono Trigger with the fact that it got to a point where it kept things fresh and interesting and kept you going to different locations. Oh, of course it let you fight the end boss whenever you wanted. Yes. <laughs> it basically, Which is huge! Like, really early in the game. And you die early on, but it got to a point when as soon as you got to that level in the game where you were kind of maybe thinking... I've had enough of this now, I want to wrap it up. You could. And you wouldn't get the most interesting or the best ending, but you could end it. Whenever you thought, I'm done with this game now, I want to finish it, you could. And the other thing it did, which was incredible, was it made sure that all of the extra grind, right, all of the extra stuff that you could do at the end, was all had a narrative to it. It was either um, backstories to do with the characters and, and fleshing out their stories, or I remember in one of them, there was a, a one-chance thing where one of the main characters in the game... Lucas, like, Lucas' dad could die. Yeah. And it's like, her dad had been dead her whole life. This is a time-travelling JRPG, we yeah. should stress. <laughs> you travel through time. And you get it's, you can only do it once. And it was like, it wasn't just like retry. There was this thing where you could you could save, you could go back in time through a freak chance and save her dad's life. I like... Um, and it's like, you've just changed her whole life. And I fucked it up. And I was just Oh, like, really? Was, yeah, that's like, we were yeah. talking about the Mass Effect 2 ending uh, last time. Uh, the one I like is, um, you. there's a dungeon you do, and it's some nuns that are possessed by a demon. I don't fucking know. And uh, <laughs> they come out afterwards and they go... Uh, we've been in the uh, all of our farmland is destroyed and Robo who's a robot goes yeah. well guys I could just stay here like yeah you leave them in the desert don't you you leave them in a forest no you leave them in a desert yeah, yeah you leave yeah. them in a desert plowing the desert and then you literally come back like thousands of years later in game it's been about uh, 60 seconds but you go a thousand years into the future and then come back and you find a sh it's a forest it's a forest yeah and you go to the center of the forest and there's and um He's on a plinth. Yeah, and like his, a battery, his batteries run down because it died 800 <laughs> years ago and he's entirely still. And Luca goes, I could probably get... And he's overgrown with weeds and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wake him up. Yeah, which happened in Doctor Who, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you just you just give him a new battery and he's back again. But it's just like, oh. And that's the thing. It's like all those, those things, even if it wasn't the main story, like it added a narrative. Was I feel like sometimes there's just so much of a degree in JRPGs just going like, well, it's the end of the game. So I guess like underneath the palace, there's like really strong dragons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a temple here which is like opened up and it's got like death pixies in it but at the end of it there's this amazing sword and it's like why? well because it's JRPG whereas I, I still remember that the best um, to get the best weapon in uh, Chrono Trigger one of the things you had to do was there was a location on the map which was just basically a, like a volcano 
like almost an old volcano and it was just a, it was just a, no it was a cave or something in the middle of nowhere with a little tiny ray of light coming down from the ceiling like just a tiny thing and it was a completely shielded from the elements and what you had to do was take this dull stone that you'd found oh and leave it there for thousands and leave of years it there for <laughs> millions of years so it was just like being shined on by sunlight for millions of years and it would make it like this incredibly powerful sunstone and I just like that idea stuck with me for years just like that it was it's a kind of like actually a lot like Dark Souls style thing of having that lore behind things mm. of making things make sense but still it was just the fact that I actually it's one of the few JRPGs that I maxed out and did everything but it was because it rewarded you all the whole way you know you'd do a story and you'd learn more about that character it's, well it's things like you know, quite apart from the fact that you can fight the end boss at any time and things like that Dragon's Dogma finishing that game turns the whole of the game you just played into something else into the most spectacular narrative yeah. that you didn't know had ever yeah. happened yeah. Until- <laughs> oh, see I haven't I didn't get to the ending of Dragon's Dogma oh, you I don't mind it. I don't mind it being oh this is oh you're just teasing me because we can't it's, talk it's, about it's, it I know we can't talk about it and but- like you just can't talk about it on no. a podcast because anyone who plays that game, if you spoil that ending, you spoil that game. Yeah, I know, it's, it's incredible. Unbelievable. I mean, I am actually, like, I, when I reviewed it, I um, I I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, I remember you. I remember the, the review. You just had to allude to it and you're just like, no, just trust me. It's so like, annoying though because it's like there's a period of that game where you have to play it for about another six hours mm. and it's a real trudge. I think with the expanded version with Dark Arisen, it's better because as part of the, the set with Dark Arisen, you get like lots more rift stones that are basically uh, allow you to teleport. Yeah. Around the world, and that makes it a lot easier because it basically means that a lot of the issue in that is backtracking. And at first, it's exciting because it's like you feel like genuinely afraid to be traveling around yeah. at night, and that's an amazing thing. But it gets to a point where you're like, oh, I've just got to walk this far. And it because the world's quite small in the end, that you get you get used to going through areas. You're like, I fought this fucking ogre. I like know the manticore's about to come over that ridge. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, it kind yeah. of you lose the magic of it after a while. Um, but then it's like you get to a point in the game where you like you just feel like, oh come on why won't you end like just end and then it does something mental and suddenly the the difficulty because you go from being like this is really easy now there's like an insane difficulty spike where suddenly like for reasons I won't go into like most of the enemies change and like all of the enemies are suddenly there's, there's brand new enemies that are much more dangerous yeah what the 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 kind of the oh, I don't want to give it away <laughs> like basically there's some fucking insane stuff that you were just like I I cannot believe this hasn't been in the last yeah. 30, 40 hours Yeah, there's of this some like game. brand like, new bosses and some brand new enemies that are just like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. And they're so well realised as well. They're like really incredibly detailed because the monsters in that game, you don't realise how good they are at first. You're like, yeah, sure, whatever, it's a big ogre or whatever. But when you actually, on his eye, when you fought them a few times, after like 10 hours in the game, you start to look at the detail, the animation and the quality of the models and stuff. It's just like, these are amazing. It's probably like the best representations of traditional Greek monsters I've ever seen in a video game yeah fucking great but yeah the, the way that game ends is just mind bending and it is it, it, I played that entire game thinking this game doesn't have a story but that's fine I, <laughs> yeah. that's fine it's a fun adventure game and then you get to the end and you go oh my god it had a story and it turns the whole non-story into the story which yeah. is just not even fair like it's <laughs> so good it yeah. is oh, it's just like it's bonkers I, I remember like Actually, after I finished it, I was just like saying to, I kept saying to John T, you know, John Hicks of OXM being like, oh, the, the, the game, the ending is just mental. It's so mental. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a Japanese game. And I'm like, no, no, no. In the end, he was like, look, I'm never going to play it. Tell me. And I went, okay, right. And I literally just talked him through what happens in the last half hour of that game. And he was just like, 
what? <laughs> just, just, yeah. If if you like RPGs and you don't mind a bit of repetition and you like action, I'd hugely recommend Dragon's Dogma. Just because it's worth playing. Just because then you can be one of these people who's now listening to this podcast and going, "Yep, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad club to be in." It's also, uh, just about the funniest fantasy Japanese game in existence. It's very funny. Oh, yeah. Like the whole. Um, the sort of weird mad king saga that happens just out of nowhere about three quarters of the way into that game is just uh, like yeah there's just, just mad like plot turns out of nowhere again because there's no story for so long <laughs> yeah and you just and it's just like yeah Suddenly there's it's like, some magic it's just like, happened it's like, oh it's just this story now yeah <laughs> but no even just I love the fact that the way the pawns work oh yeah, yeah the, I, that's what that's really what I'm talking yeah. about oh I see just the Sorry. way that they like they ramble to themselves and just in this sort of weird English. so these are the allies that you have travelling with you for the game yeah but there's some really clever stuff in that and the fact that like the pawns learn things so if you borrow because they're AI companions that you can design you can make them look and be exactly what you want them to be your little RPG team and then you can borrow someone else's to join you like from online and they'll have experience not just in terms of battle they'll know how to fight enemies so they'll give you advice on enemies but also and this is the meta thing that blew my mind they'll know how to do quests yeah <laughs> so like there are some quests where they go follow me Arisen and they go the cave is just over here and like they're, they're like what you've done this quest before like <laughs> it's like playing with someone in MMO being like I know where the book is it's just over here on this shelf you need to wait for it here I love the idea that you're like the chosen one and there are these like these literally soulless creatures that have experienced every possible dimension <laughs> and like have finished everything that can be done and and they're and you're meant to be in charge of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like you're like a teacher who's like oh shit I don't know what I'm doing I always <laughs> like if I'm alone in a dark room I will still make myself laugh remembering your story or just the thing that happened to me as well when I played it of you're in a city and you hear I'm wet through sire <laughs> and you turn around and they're stood in a fountain <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm wet through. Yeah, it's amazing. They just, they just like because of the erratic nature of the AI as well. That kept cracking me up. I remember at one point we were just walking past the river, and one of my pawns just out of nowhere just ran into the river yeah. like for no reason. I just went, I went through. <laughs> it's, like, it's basically like they're like omnipotent, omniscient toddlers. Yeah. I love the idea that like. The, the, the quirk of the AI in that situation is just in, the, in the field that's a big deal like when they get wet through they're totally susceptible to, to lightning susceptible yeah. to lightning and but when it's in the it. middle of the city it doesn't matter that they're wet through it's just like Wah! I'm wet I'm soaking <laughs> or the uh, yeah or the um, the monsters that that I was I didn't know this was in the game and I'm going into the dungeons under the city for the first time there's an enormous sort of like ogre looking thing then it's running towards me and I know it's running towards me because it always aggros on me the protagonist yeah. the pawn to my left because I have a guy and a girl go, this one likes women sire <laughs> yeah. and I'm looking at it and I'm reading my sword as it runs towards me and it just runs past That's me too, yeah. and picks up my female party what are you doing and it just starts eating her <laughs> yeah and it's and because yeah some monsters really fucking hate women that's the thing is that that, that was what blew my mind with that game with that bit and just being like oh so I need to hire because you have this almost infinite supply of pawns you can borrow because you can borrow them from what, characters online you end up being like really specific you're like well I want a female knight like I want basically a <laughs> tank who's a woman because that's the best way to fight 
this monster. It's a real shame because it's like uh, so many of the mechanics in that game are just so brilliant that if it had, I really hope it gets a sequel because if it was expanded on. Oh God, what are the odds? I, I don't know. It sold it's pretty well. It sold quite well. And actually, I must say that I'm mainly responsible for that. <laughs> so it's That's a good feeling. It is. It's it? insane. Like I've actually been told because I made a video for OXM which went super viral and got gift and basically started that game's campaign. And it's I've actually had like I know from talking to people at Capcom that like that I get I got talked about a lot by like Capcom's top brass <laughs> of them being like this guy basically saved this game like wow. it's insane but I'm glad because it's a good game that you are responsible for also a second print run of popular board game ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it's true a team game of uh, assembling fashionable outfits and failing in the stock market it's true and if you want to see my review of that actually you can see it on Shut Sit Down it's me uh, both being a lady and a gentleman featuring cross-dressing and scones and on that note actually we'll wrap this up with a turbo round of questions now I, no, oh. this is isn't going to work in the same way. You want to explain why? Well, Quince? here's what I'm thinking. We answered these. We select. We handpicked four questions uh, before, and we answered them rigorously. That we talked passionately about what we need to do to fix the to- toxic communities in the games industry. But we've done that. So what we're going to do is ask answer the questions in reverse. Yeah, because otherwise we'll just get into a mess. So we're going to do our best to. to invert these questions and then answer them anyway so the first question is from uh, Vod Chronicles which is where is Skate 4 so where is where, where is where isn't Skate 4 Skate 4 isn't in my disc tray yet <laughs> Skate 4 is not do we think it's in development is it in development I don't I've never heard anything I've heard it's not it, it isn't Wait, everywhere I'm, I'm already <laughs> yeah. it isn't everywhere wow did this you, was meant you just didn't didn't break an NDA <laughs> Yes! This is meant to be easier. <laughs> um, and are you lads not a psychic? Yes. Actually, no, we've got to stay away from the psychic stuff yeah, because this is that... how we got into the ghost situation which got the last podcast deleted. Um, so, so Jordan Bird. Uh, Jordan Bird says, is there a franchise you'll always get tired of? For me, it's... Not Ratchet and Clank. This is really difficult. This is like playing a... I've got a headache. I've okay, a headache so is well. there... In fact, this actually makes a cool question. Like, is, is there, there a, a franchise, franchise you're just tired of? <laughs> in, no, like, as a whole. Like, is there a franchise you'll just never touch, even though you've All not of, touched it Oh, yet? even though we've not touched it? Yeah, like, I like the idea that there's a franchise so... Oh, that we so were, against what we would ever consider our type <laughs> that of we game. were tired of it before we before even played we even played it. it. Oh, yeah. there's got to be oh, loads. There's loads of them. Yeah, like yeah. most games, most FIFA. <laughs> I was going to say oh, sports I play, games. I play loads of FIFA. That doesn't work for me. Shooting kind of games. Games. Some games with zombies. Oh, oh some yeah, games like, with zombies. Are good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of twin we've, we've, stick top down zombie shooters. Fuck those games. Uh, and finally, finally, we've got a question here, which is um, to do with, it was originally to do with the toxicity of the video games culture. And actually, we went into a really detailed conversation about this, but got a bit heavy. I'm sure we'll go back to it in the future, though, so don't worry. But not tonight, because, my God, repeating yourself twice in the same evening is the most depressing thing in the world. <laughs> so, um, how do you deal with the sometimes lovely culture of video games? How I I feel it's difficult sometimes because sometimes video games uh, as a whole as a medium and a culture can just be really lovely. Uh, I tend to deal with it by feeling quite happy that I work in this industry. Yeah, I think a lot about the lovely people who make games and how many people who are smarter than me are trying to entertain me mm. on a on a daily basis. That's incredible. Mm. So that's my coping mechanism. I tend to look at some really grotty pornography just to get myself grounded again. You know. <laughs> yeah, I go to Rotten.com. <laughs> 
Not true. Well, it might be true for him. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's leave that one open. And that's uh, the bizarre end of the re-record of the second episode of Daft Souls. Sorry if it seemed mental, but we've all gone slightly insane and we've been doing this now for approximately two and a half hours. <laughs> but we did get through this, remember, by the eradication of ghost stories and the addition of chocolate ganache. So, you know, Daft Souls... Uh, no ghosts Max, Max, Max Ganache. Ganache thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week bye 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 bye